Younger. I am Dr. Sean Pilati, and this is the place where we ask the most important question. How do we add years to your life and life to those years? We're joined today by my guest, Dr. Charles Runnell. Dr. Runnell is the inventor of the O-Shot, the Vampire Facelift, and the P-Shot. He's trained thousands of physicians around the world. We're really excited to have you today on the show, Dr. Runnels. I'm excited to be on the show. There's truly a revolution in medicine happening. And you guys are right in there pushing things forward. So, Dr. Runnels, what's the one tool, we'll jump right in, what's the one tool that will help us become 20 years younger? What is it? Oh, wow, that's a good question. The one tool, man, you know, um, (laughs) there's so many things about just living. There really is no magic tool. People walk up to me sometimes and say, What's uh, what's the, what's your secret for staying young and healthy? And we're on a five minute coffee break, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and and yeah, I have some procedures that will make tissue healthier, but as you know, um, promoting things on the cellular level isn't going to work if nutrition's off or your brain's goofed up and your pituitary gland is not functioning because you're stressed out or or so. There's so many things that. It really is about how you live your life. And I, now, Dr. Um, Ronald, what is your age? How old are you? I'm 61. And I have to say, uh, just from what I haven't met you in person, but just see on your line online, you really have a youthfulness that embodies the title of our show, 20 Years Younger. You, you do look 20 years younger. What would you attribute that to? Um, you know, if I were picking the top things to do, and, and, and I've made a I made a habit of this even during my 12 years of ER medicine. I used to have this kind of odd practice, but every now and then I'd bump into someone that just was phenomenally younger than their age. For example, I took care of an 80-something-year-old woman who fell off the house. She was up there repairing her roots, and all she had was a couple of bruised ribs, and her hobby was going to the nursing home to visit the quote old people. Yeah, and so when I go. would, during my years of medicine now, a number of decades, I, when I find someone like that, I've always pulled the curtains and say, okay, what, what's all your secrets? And there's some common themes. They don't smoke. They usually don't drink. If they do, it's extremely rare. They have a spirituality about them. They may use a different scripture they're reading, but they're spiritual people. They're almost always walkers, and they're almost always eating the sorts of things that your grandmother told you about, vegetables, and and uh, they may be vegetarian, they may not, but they're eating vegetables, they're sleeping, they're practicing a life where they have something to live for, they have a family or a goal or some something they're trying to accomplish, uh, but the, the common things I hear are attention to diet, and they're almost always walkers. Uh, and they're living this type of spirituality that keeps things calm. Mm. Now, as you know, these procedures that, that have brought us to this place where we're having a conversation have to do with 
mm, amplifying some of the things that go on on the cellular level in the body. And there's some some ways the body heals itself. But it really, a lot of it comes down to just how you live your life. Can you tell us how you started off uh, on your journey? How did, how did you get going in, in every, all of this? Where did it start? Um, as far as living a healthy life? As far as really... Or the um, procedures. Yeah, the procedures, the O-Shot, Vampire Fan. Yeah, how, the how procedures. How did you start with that? The, well, I, I, had a, I was a research chemist before I went to medical school, and I had an interest in research in general. So even after I opened up my internal medicine practice, I was participating in clinical trials and I had an interest in um, how the tissue works. As an ER person, I had, of course, dealing with lots of wounds and I ran a wound care center. And then there was a combination of three things happening at the same time. There, I, I was operating as an internist trying to help people live a healthier life, not just treat disease, which meant managing weight. And I had, an, I had a woman who disappeared from my weight loss program slash health program. And then she came back a month later and said, okay, I'm ready to lose more weight because I got some filler in my face. She has got rest on. Juvederm was not even here yet. So what I learned was from her that many people don't want to lose weight because when they do, their face looks older. So I started studying cosmetic medicine as a way to help encourage people to lose weight and became uh, proficient at least at that. And some people thought I was good at it. And so I had this aesthetic practice. And 21 years ago, before Suzanne Summers did her first book on hormones, I was doing testosterone pellets. So I had several thousand women that were coming to me for hormone replacement, which meant I was talking to them about their sexuality. So now I have this weird combination of I'm a chemist who understands cosmetic medicine and wound care and women's sexuality, and I'm an internist, and I'm a researcher. I was doing clinical trials in the office with growth hormone, and and, um, and then just got this idea, well, why not use the same therapy that's used cosmetically to try to help some of the people who are struggling with their sex life? And so I, I used it in the face. It, it had migrated, as you know from your work, in decades before that in orthopedics and dentistry. But I started using it in the face and thinking how to apply it in the genitalia and came up with some methods that now have evolved to our really amazing group of physicians worldwide. And the research that's come out has just been an explosion of research. And, um, so I've become almost a facilitator of people like yourself and those in your office who have thoughts and research. We're financing research and just kind of watching it all happen and facilitating it. But the, the basic perfect storm was an internist slash chemist doing aesthetic medicine and practicing also sexual medicine 21 years ago and then first started doing this in the year uh, 2010, so it's been 11 years now. So can you tell us, for, for those of us that aren't familiar with PRP, what does that stand for? How do you uh, harness it, use it, apply it? Is it painful? Can you talk to us a little bit about it? 
Yeah, so the idea was initially thought about deeply in people dealing with orthopedic problems. And the idea was if you have a tissue that has almost no, no blood flow, like the cartilage in the knee or someone who's been radiated, say, for throat cancer, and now you have to operate on their jaw, which has almost no blood flow, and it's been radiated, so now it's even less. Well, how do you get that to heal? So the dentists and orthopedic surgeons have this idea, well, let's take what's normally in the blood to cause healing, which would be the the, uh, cytokines and the growth factors that are in platelets. It's what causes the blood to clot and make a scab when you're injured, and say when you scraped your knee. But it's not just clotting the blood. It's that clot, as you know, has growth factors. Think of the platelets as little suitcases, and they lift, release all these things that cause stem cells to come to the area, come from the bone marrow, migrate to the area through the bloodstream. And now you have, say, in the case of the child with a scraped knee, the skin is gone, but you have this gooey yellow stuff slash scab, but it has all these growth factors in it, and now you grow some new skin. So the orthopedic surgeon, the dentist thought, well, let's just take that same stuff and make it as concentrated as we can. Mm-hmm. So we, when we operate, the cartilage will heal, and it works. So some people started thinking, well, let's just do it without the operation. And that worked in dentistry and orthopedics in the knee. We now know PRP in the knee works better than cortisone. The recent New England Journal article showed that physical therapy uh, actually works as well as cortisone in the joint, but cortisone leads to early joint destruction. That's correct. And PRP works better than the cortisone. So amazing. So we have this research out there, but it's still not really being looked at by everybody and certainly not being noticed by most of the insurance carriers. So that's where it started. And then I just took that technology that the sports medicine doctors and the people dealing with bones and cartilage and teeth had known about, just took those same ideas and used them in the tissue. There's still blood flow and heart and there's, uh, there's nervous, there's nerves, Blood, collagen, all there in the genitalia, just like it is in other parts of the body. And lo and behold, it's, it's helped. It doesn't help everything because, you know, if it's got to do with hormones or or something other than the tissue of the genitalia, it may not help. But for those sexual problems that, or aesthetic problems that involve the local tissue, it, it can be life-changing. So with these uh, procedures, um how many applications, how many visits do you have to make to the office for your face or the P-shot, O-shot? Um, how many times they have to be done to see, you know, I know we can't guarantee results per se. And uh, can you speak to it also like the um, how those results vary uh, from person to person, personally what you've seen uh, from one extreme to another? Well, yes, as you mentioned, it depends a lot on what we're treating and take for example if we're treating scarring from acne lots of studies have demonstrated that there's benefit best results with that usually two or three treatments six to eight weeks apart 
to give the tissue a chance to respond. Think of it, it's not like a pharmaceutical reaction where you say if you give someone morphine, well, they feel it in five minutes. Here, what we're doing is we're growing new tissue, so you have to have time for it to respond. And with scarring, and if that's applied to the genitalia, that might be a woman who has difficult delivery. She has a scar where she was sutured back together, a episiotomy that now hurts when she has relations with her husband. And, and so that might require the same thing, treatment every six weeks or two or three times. For something less traumatic, say a woman who's got some leaking of her urine when she exercises, she may see improvement after one treatment. So it depends on the problem, but it's usually one to three treatments, six to eight weeks apart. Okay. And do, do those improvements continue after those eight weeks? Do they, could you see, um, you know, lagging of results uh, for some people six to eight mm-hmm. months or? It sort of depends, not sort of, it does depend on the etiology. So let's yeah. say that the thing that caused the problem is gone. For example, another example, so the scarring is an example. The woman's not having another child, so there's no, once it's better, it stays better. Just like if you heal the skin that was torn from scraping the knee, you know, a child falls off, falls off the bicycle, and when the skin goes back, it's there permanently. Same thing if you fix this, if you use this these techniques to say, with acne scarring. But if the etiology is still present, say it's a woman who has pain when she has sex, and it's because she has very dryness of vaginal tissue, and that is there because she has no estrogen or almost no estrogen, Mm -hmm. and she's had breast cancer, so she's not going to use any estrogen for whatever reason. And so now if you give her the O-shot, it will actually get better. And that research was published in menopause, still not widely looked at, but it was published, very good study in menopause showing that lubrication improves, the tissue gets healthier. But because she's still not on estrogen, it will get better. And then after nine months or a year and a half, usually about a year, she'll need another treatment to keep the improvement ongoing. So you would say a general maintenance of these procedures maybe every three years, something like that? Uh, So if the etiology is gone, oftentimes Mm -hmm. you treat them, they never need another treatment. If the cause for it is something that's still there, say Mm -hmm. with the face, well, Mm -hmm. aging isn't arrested. Mm -hmm. In that case, I would say most people want another treatment after about a year and a half. Now, there's also this worry that, oh, if I do this, when it wears off, I'll somehow be worse than if Mm -hmm. I did nothing. That's unfounded because what really happens is you build a new tissue, and when it wears off, you're much better than had you done nothing because you didn't continue to go downhill. You brought things back to a healthier place, tissues healthier, and then when it goes, starts to go back the other way, say because a woman can't be on estrogen, She's still better than had you done nothing. Now, is there home devices that can help with the resu- results of vampire facial, like LEDs, or 
uh, home devices that would help uh, for the P-shot or the O-shot accentuate it or help the results uh, be more intense? Uh, absolutely. It would depend on, of course, what the problem is. So if it, and as a, as a warning, if someone's using a home device that's a microneedling device, they need to make sure they're using it just for themselves because mm-hmm. there's been some bad outcomes when people use those without understanding what they're doing. Um, but that's maybe confusing, but some of the clinics have, as some of, there's been some scary press out there, but what's happened is when people don't know what they're doing, then they sometimes cross pollinate. Mm-hmm. We should probably talk about that now because if I use a device that I can't clean and then I use that same device on another person, I can mm-hmm. transmit disease. And where that's happened, it's been where people were not part of our group. As you know, we have a list of licensed providers and everyone who gets these procedures, whereas the vampire procedure, O-shot or P-shot, they should look at that those directories so that they're sure they're being treated by someone who's actually agreed to our guidelines and has been certified by us. Um, But on the other hand, we're all handling blood every day in the medical clinic. So it's absolutely every OR and every doctor's office. You just need to make sure you're seeing someone who knows what they're doing. So, but if the home devices that don't involve blood, absolutely there's things that encourage Kegel exercises for the females, there's the vacuum devices for the males. There's for the face. There's all sorts of lights, and and um, that can can be helpful. So, and I'm sure you guys have recommendations there in your clinic that are well founded. Do you see ways in the future that this work will improve, um, making the PRP more potent or? other things added to accentuate the results? What do you see on the horizon for your work? So there's there's some words that people should probably understand and know where things are headed. Definitely things will improve. They'll get better defined. One sort of naive idea is that once you show something works, the research stops. It's actually the opposite. Once there's this idea that a technique works, the research explodes because there's infinite variabilities about how we prepare the blood, what we add to it, how is it injected, or maybe it's not injected. Maybe it's supplied a different way. Um, And, of course, there's all the things that could be mixed with it, like stem cells and exosomes and amnion and Wharton's jelly and different vitamins and um, and, of course, the FDA's become, I think, rightly so, more careful about how doctors are allowed to talk about the various additives and how they're prepared. And as of actually this coming June 1st, they intend to start being more uh, diligent about what can be talked about. So they've decided that uh, stem cells and exosomes that are manufactured from a person's body by multiple processes are now classified as a drug and have to be used under some sort of research protocol or be approved as a drug. Mm-hmm. 
but and this is a, a common misconception, but PRP is not a drug. It's just the person's blood. So if we're using platelet-rich plasma, it's not directly applying stem cells. It's just taking what the body would use normally for wound healing or tissue repair and then using that in the same body, same person, which is why you can't catch disease from it. It's that person's own blood, which would mean autologous. And it's homologous use because we're doing using it in, for what it was intended from a Darwinian standpoint. The growth factors in the platelets were intended to improve the health of tissue and repair tissue. So that's not a drug. That's be like classifying saliva or skin or hair. All those things belong to the person. On the other hand, the devices we use to prepare the plasma should be approved by the FDA for preparing plasma to go back into the body, as in not using devices that were manufactured to analyze blood, using devices that were approved to prepare blood for reinjection into the body. So the devices FDA approved for preparation of blood, but the procedure is not, the FDA doesn't even govern procedures. None, no procedure like that usually surprises people, but the FDA doesn't govern hysterectomies or polycystectomies or any medical procedure. They govern drugs and devices. And a person's blood, saliva, urine, hair, skin, that belongs to the person, as do a woman's eggs. Those belong to her. But if I take her fat and I do a bunch of things to it and turn it into a very concentrated stem cells, now that's a drug. So all those, it's a little bit confusing until you get it, and then it's pretty plain. I understand. So our listeners might want to know, because this might be revolutionary or scary to them, when you think about needles injected into their sexual organs, they're afraid of it. Obviously, it's the unknown for a lot of people. Um, is this procedure painful? If so, how much? Can you, can you speak to that so they can know what to expect when they get a procedure? Most of my patients tell me Botox hurts more than an O-shot. And uh, so I never promise anybody anything is completely pain-free. Like when you go to the dentist, if everything works right, the dentist does everything and there's zero pain. But sometimes the dentist may have to give you a couple of lidocaine injections to make it to that place. Mm-hmm. So literally 99 out of 100 women who come to me they will have zero pain or so close to it. It's like, yeah, I felt you. It was a little bit, I felt the, when the needle was there, it was some pressure or something like that. But sometimes people will have you know, one or two out of 10 pain, assuming again, they're seeing one of our people who's been properly trained and understands what they're doing. It's a, uh, it's a scary, it's a, obviously a sacred part of our body is because it's how we love each other. The face is the same. If you throw a baseball at someone, they're going to cover their face and their genitals. Let's rather get hit on the arm because that's how we relate to the people we love. So these are sacred, whole body sacred, obviously, but these, the face and the genitals are especially dear to us. And so it makes us more nervous when people approach them with a needle. But the actual mechanics of making things where you don't feel pain are, are as simple with the uh, genitals as they are with 
in the other part of the body. So clients and patients, and you've seen thousands and, and your doctors have seen thousands and thousands of patients. How long, what is the patient saying when they come back to you? How long before they say, I really am noticing a difference uh, with these treatments regarding the O-shot and P-shot? Um, mm -hmm. If they're going to see a change, how, how long does that generally take? And what intensity of improvement? Obviously, everyone's different. Their problems are different. But as a general story, after the thousands of patients that you've had experience with, what would you say about that? With In the orthopedic arena, because the blood flow is so low, it can be six months to a year before someone sees full effect. But with soft tissue, because there is more bones in the genitals and the face, there's more blood flow. And most people will see results starting to happen around the third week with full effect at the third month and most of what they're going to see somewhere around the second month. So, and if you look at the wound care studies where they're using pyrapetified infection or help heal tissue and say people with wounds caused by diabetes or injury, as well as in our studies with aesthetics and uh, sexual medicine, full effect is about three months with the beginning so if a woman has pain she'll, with, uh, with sex, she'll start to see the pain to attenuate around the third week with full effect around the eighth week to the third month. So would you say the effect, when we say the effect, is that a life-changing effect? Is that a mild in improvement in sexual function? What, are, what is the general um, statements that people are coming back to you? What are they saying mm -hmm. about this work? These procedures are life-changing. They, they so frequently change lives. It's just it's, so many of our practitioners call us literally in tears at the things they've seen happen with their patients and um, who've suffered for a long time because it relates to their sexuality and their relationships. But the you know as far as profound versus mild. Well, it depends on what we're treating. So let's say a woman has some mild incontinence when she exercises or occasionally sneezes. Maybe not so much that her whole life is different, although it can be because not being able to exercise, of course, leads to fatigue and insomnia and weight gain and all those things that happen because of weight gain, like diabetes and hypertension. So what may seem mild, like urinary incontinence, can have a domino effect that not mild and even life-threatening, but uh, a lot of the re the results as far as profoundness depends on what the problem was and how the person responds. You know, no procedure is perfect, and these included. And people who smoke are less likely to respond. People say with when it comes to erectile dysfunction, maybe they've had diabetes for many years and they have the iliac arteries are clogged and they and so they're not even getting blood flow to the penis so not every problem can be helped but uh, for those who are helped and which depending on the problem in our survey just globally is somewhere around 65 percent on the first for every problem the hard ones and the easy ones on the first treatment, it jumps to 85 after the second treatment. And some women with just urinary incontinence, it's, it's close to 100% that are helped with the first. 
Um, but the bottom line is that for those that are healed, because it heals relationships and uh, and the profound side effect of that, being able to have intimate relations that work again, it, it's extremely life-changing for most people. So people that are saying, yes, I, I definitely want to do this procedure, what steps could they take prior to seeing the physician to make sure, are there steps they can take that their PRP is more vital and healthy? You mentioned not smoking, being insulin resistant, that type of thing. Um, does exercise, you know, intermittent fasting, specific supplementation, does any of that add to the effectiveness of PRP? Yeah, actually, it's very profoundly so. There's a book on Amazon written by one of our people called Perfect PRP, which lays out a, it's an orthopedic surgeon who lays out a plan. But in summary, I would say that all the things that would help you heal a wound, because that's the cascade we're forming, would help with this. So avoiding smoking, good nutrition, vitamin C, actually aerobic exercise immediately before the blood's drawn, having a, a period where you put yourself into ketosis by fasting or, or just low carb and just shoot stem cell activity out the roof. So but those would be the main things. But if you just think in terms of what would I do if I had a wound that needed healing, it would involve all the things that help circulation and nutrition and wound healing, uh, avoiding the things that would interfere with that, like high-dose cortisone, stopping on steroidals for a week or two before the procedure. Those are the main things. That's awesome. So based on your experience in this field, what do you think is the fundamental breakthrough, the black swan, if you will, that will happen with aging? Do you see that happening in the next five, ten years? You know, you see cell phones and cars and all of our technology has, you know, doubled, tripled, ten times its, its effectiveness from 30 years ago, yet we've not seen that with aging. We've seen opioids and obesity affect us here in America and actually reduce um, how long we expect to live. What do you think is going to be the fundamental breakthrough, and are we going to have that in the next 10 to 20 years? Um. I think that I wish I could say that there's a magic bullet coming. I think there's a there's starting to be the feel of getting back to the things that grandmothers talked about, mm-hmm. like fresh air and exercise and paying attention to it to uh, nutrition. I wish I could say that there was something technological that was going to take the place of that. What I've seen happen is people trying to find something that takes the place of that. Like, you know, I'm old enough to remember back in the 70s, astronauts had just gone to the moon and people had this feeling that we're going to be able to make a tablet that people can take. You don't even need to, I don't know why we'd want to take eating away from people, but there was this feeling, if you go back and look at what was talked about, that maybe we get some supplements and you just, do that like the astronauts did in space and you just take that you don't even need to really eat and you live a long long time but there's so many micronutrients in fruits and vegetables i think it's going to be you're seeing a a, uh, shift back to 
uh, what's healthy. You know, the, during the COVID pandemic, it was the people that were outside who did the best. And, and that actually correlates more than mask use. Who was, mm. who was going outside and who was trapped in a big building with 10,000 other people with no open windows. And uh, that actually was more important than mask use. So maybe some of the apps that are encouraging people to go move around more. And, and if I were going to say in one minute or one sentence, you're key to living a long life, sort of a, the habit that everything else spends on would be just knock out 21 miles on foot every week, 21 to 25 miles over 25. You start to have injury, but that's the magic point where people seem to reach maximum uh, health. You know, the, the correlation for the thing that correlates with heart attack and stroke more than anything else, can't buy it at the drugstore. It's VO2 max or anaerobic threshold, VO2 max. But there's no drug for it, so nobody really even talks about it. And But it's that happens from there's no app, there's no drug that goes around it. You just have to go out there and, and do yeah. do your miles. You yeah. And so I think, and it's, it's so interesting how many ways that number pops up Annals of Internal Medicine 2006 showed that, well, someone looked and thought, well, what? How long would, if we, just nobody in America change their diet, how much would they have to move around to where most people would have a normal weight? Turns out it's an hour per day of walking. Well, if you do the math on that, most people, every day, if you do the math on that, uh, that's, most people walk a 20 minute mile, so that's three times seven, three miles a day. Seven days a week, that's 21 miles. If you look at the boxers back in the, six, the 50s, just empirically, they figured out five miles, five times a day. Put them in the best shape with the least number of injuries. You, um, and they've looked at civilizations where there's very little mechanism involved, which they don't understand why anybody would exercise because they have to exercise <laughs> yeah, to exactly. survive. Yeah. But there's this idea that they're doing... Herculean amounts of miles because of some of the popularity of ultra marathoning and, and that sort of thing. But on a day-to-day basis, when they measure it, it's about 21 to 25 miles a week. So go. in my opinion, trying to be healthy and not do miles is like trying to not feel tired but deciding you're only going to sleep two hours a night. You're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. You can take caffeine. You can do whatever you want to to get around it, but if you just sleep two miles a, two hours a night after a number of nights, you will not feel good. And I think that our bodies are programmed to do 21 miles I like that. on foot mm-hmm. per week. I think it's a weekly thing, uh, more than a daily thing. That's how we would live if we were in. We'd have days where we sat around and days when we'd have to go gather nuts or something. Absolutely. Uh, hunt, hunt deer or whatever we're doing if we live without Walmart. And, um, and so I think that's programmed. And all the research I read keeps coming back to that number. I think 30 minutes three times a week is better than nothing. But I don't think anybody's going to be really healthy on that amount of exercise. We want optimal health. And then if you look at the people who found it empirically, like, Rove said that his writing basically correlated to his walking. 
and he couldn't understand how anybody in town could keep from going insane that if he didn't get in his four hours of walking by uh, the afternoon, that he felt like he lost the day. Thomas Jefferson thought it took two hours a day to, to be healthy of exercise. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. Um, Charles Dickens walked three hours a day. Beethoven spent the afternoons walking. Gandhi, Jesus. I mean, were people prophets? Uh, did they walk because they were prophets, or were they prophets because they were walkers? I mean, I, and if I sound like I'm preaching, it goes on. No, I, I love it. There is nothing. There is nothing. Nothing. Nothing in the drugstore or in my PRP that will take the place of that. Now, if you can't walk because your knees hurt, well, I got the answer. There you go. <laughs> so do you. And it, it, and, yeah, I mean, it works together, doesn't it? Because you, yes. you walk and then your blood has oxygen and the mitochondria work better. Therefore, you have better PRP. Therefore, you can have better application. Therefore, you have less pain. So it's really all about momentum. And these well, are the and ways. This vicious. And there's this vicious cycle the other way. Actually, Blue Cross audited me in 2003 because they couldn't understand why an internist was the number two doctor in the state injecting knees. Mm. And they audited me because I was skipping the cortisone step because I, um, I was treating. The reason I was injecting so many people is the negative feedback loop is you don't want to gain weight. You gain weight so you don't feel t uh, energetic, so you walk less. And now your knees start to hurt from the weight, so you walk even less. Mm -hmm. So you gain more weight, which makes your knees hurt even more. There you go. So part of the way you break that vicious cycle is you get people to where their knees don't hurt as much, and then you get them to move. And as you know, that helps the osteoarthritis too. So now you you got their knees healthy, they're walking, they're losing weight, their knees feel even better, they want more. And, um, and so... There, so just one small example of how I'm not saying walking cures all ills, but I'm saying that you use the technology to get people moving. But in the end, the basic health principles haven't changed for eons. in thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, since we started walking, and and they're just like there are certain spiritual laws that will never change. It's always going to be bad to hurt people in any interpretation of scripture that that gets interpreted as we should go hurt our fellow man is being read wrong so and so there will always be loving people is what how you sum up the scriptures and i think it will it's always been that way it always will be and i think the summary of health is always going to be eat fruits and vegetables go walking sleep and go outside i love it <laughs> i love it those are the best physicians so Dr. Reynolds, how can uh, how can our audience connect with you? Well, they can connect to your clinic if they're you know if they're in your neighborhood. I, uh, you know, you have providers there that they can find on our directory. If they, I have a web, I'm thirty something websites. They can, <laughs> but if they're interested in our procedures, we have we have websites for each procedure. Um, I have a personal website, which is my last name, Runnels, R-U-N-E-L-S dot com with one in. But, I, um, you know, I don't, I've tried to put myself on the procedure websites for years. It, 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 I only sort of came out of the closet because 
people wanted to know yeah. uh, where things were coming from and they wanted to talk with me. But it really needs to be about the, literally thousands of doctors in 50-something countries that are doing the research, taking care of their patients. It's really not about me. It's about you and the people there at your clinic and the people that are in our group and, and not in our group that are just out there taking care of people. So, but yeah, that's how they can find me on my website. And I've got some books on Amazon that they can find as well. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that's all in the show notes for our audience. I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us today, Doctor. And we just really appreciate you. We're excited to hear about the advances of your work. Um, but thanks you for being on the show today. Honored to do it and, and very honored to speak with uh with someone who's in the healing arts who's working on a Sunday on Memorial Day weekend. That's just you know, that just tells you how devoted you are. So thanks for making time for me. You have a good day, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm Dr. Sean Pilati, and my guest today has been Dr. Charles Runnels. Join us next time as we learn another way to grow 20 years younger.